But today we're going to return to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we have been making our way through this book. You remember that uh, the book was written uh, about 600 years before Christ. I think we call that the 7th century BC, if I did my math correctly. But 600 years before Christ, uh, it is a minor prophet book, minor in uh, size, certainly not minor in scope. Because the message that Habakkuk has for us is, is the very reason why it's found in the canon of our scripture, is because God uh, is using it and has used it in our lives and in the lives of millions, I'm sure, that have taken the time to study through this particular book, this relatively short book. Let me remind you of a couple of things since it has been a few weeks. The word Habakkuk, uh, the name Habakkuk and the word Habakkuk, it means wrestling. And I bring it up that it means wrestling because that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing uh, in this book. It's what we're observing. It's what we're watching. Here is a man, a man of faith, that is wrestling with his faith. And so it's important that the questions that he is asking, they're, they're, they're good questions. They're the type of questions that a lot of us have probably asked or thought and wondered, should I be thinking something like this? Well, Habakkuk did. And he, he shared those questions with the Lord, not because he lacked faith, but because he was a man of faith. And because his faith told him something, he wondered, where is God? What is God doing? Why aren't you doing what I would expect that you should be doing. So he was a man that was wrestling with God as to what he was doing in the Jewish uh, community, the Jewish society. Now Habakkuk, you right, might remember, I said this relatively quickly and briefly, briefly, he lived through a spiritual revival uh, in the early part of his life. And so maybe he was still a child, maybe he was just be entering into adulthood. But around the year 640 B.C., there was a spiritual revival that came in the land of Judah, primarily as a result of sort of the, the changes that King Hezekiah put into place. And as the word of God became center focus in that community once more, uh, the people's heart began to be changed. Habakkuk lived through that time. But here we are now, 40 years later, right around the year 600 or so, 40 years later, and the people have returned back to their sin. And it grieved Habakkuk. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. But if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, notice what he says to the Lord. He says, why do, why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? I could rephrase that. God, why aren't you doing anything? Why are you just looking and not doing anything? God, you need to intervene. And again, these are the types of questions. God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing something? God, you're not making sense to me. Now, remember, I mean, I should remind you just once more, these aren't the questions of an unbeliever. They're the questions of a believer. They're the questions of a person that was absolutely certain that God could do something about these things, not a God that couldn't do something. He was wrestling with God because he knew that God was good and that God was powerful and that God was able, and he didn't understand the Lord. And so we brought that lack of understanding to him. And from the place of faith, he cries out to God, God, help me to understand. See, I think that's so important because it, it reveals that he recognized the problem was with him. The problem was with, with his understanding, not with the Lord. And he says, God, help me to understand. Such a great example to us of coming to God 
in openness, coming to God in honesty, in our prayers, respectfully, certainly so, but coming to him just in an open and an honest way and asking him to make, uh, to help us understand, help me to trust you more in the midst of these things. Now, God did respond to that prayer, that cry, really, of, um, of Habakkuk. Remember, he said, I cried to the Lord. And the next phrase, he says, I screamed unto you, and you have not heard me. God, you might remember, he did respond. And he said in so many words, he says, I am doing something. Verse 5, he said, in fact, I'm doing something you wouldn't believe if I told you what I was doing. I am doing something, he says. He said he was raising up the nation of Babylon. In, our, in, our, uh, in the book of Habakkuk, they're referred to as the Chaldeans, same group of people. He says, I'm raising up the nation of Babylon. And of course, that led to a whole bunch of new questions. Why would you raise up someone more evil to bring about judgment on a people that are less evil? But through it all, he's wrestling. And through it all, he remains right, and he remains respectful of the Lord. Through it all, he admits he doesn't understand what God is doing. And remember what he does then. In that time of not understanding what God is or what God is doing or how he is and how he's doing it, he goes back and he reminds himself of what he does know. God, you're good. God, you're perfect. God, you're holy. God, you're just. He reminds himself of what he knows to be true, and he leans on those things when he finds himself wrestling with things that he doesn't understand. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post, and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint or what he will say to me concerning my complaint. He says, I'm going to gain some heavenly perspective. I'm going to get off. I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to get myself up high so I can look down over all of these things, and I'm going to gain some heavenly perspective to see how the Lord will respond. Now that brings us to chapter 3, which is our study for today. And you'll notice chapter 3, it begins, it says, It is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shiganoth. Now the word Shiganoth is probably not one we all use very frequently. I suspect it's not even used very often in the Bible. It only appears a couple times in the Bible. And the context clues make it clear that it has something to do, it's a type of song. And so Habakkuk here, the prophet, he is writing a prayer that he is setting to music according to the Shiganoth. It's a, a prayer set to music. Look down at the last verse of chapter 3. We learn uh, what music is to accompany this song. It's supposed to be done with stringed instruments. So guitars or harps or something like that. It's the only way you can play this song, apparently. Uh, I guess a piano, is that a stringed instrument? Joe knows. All right, so you can play with the piano as well. Keyboard? Mm-mm. Can't do it. But you can do it with any kind of stringed instrument, apparently so. I kid a little bit here. Um, now, the first two chapters of the book of Habakkuk, it's the prophet's question and answer time with God. This back and forth with God. Now that God has answered Habakkuk, that's what chapter 2 is about. Now that he has answered Habakkuk, Habakkuk goes back to God with a song of prayer. So God had allowed Habakkuk into so to speak, into his mind, into his counsels, to what the Lord was doing. He allows Habakkuk to come into that, into that. He explains to him what it was that he was doing, and he fills him in on those things. And Habakkuk's response is now to submit himself to God by faith. I didn't know what you were doing, 
I began wondering if you were doing anything. You've told me that you're going to do something that would be a little shocking to me, but nonetheless, that's what you were going to do. And now Habakkuk's response is, all right, God, I trust you. He says it in so many words. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I'll paraphrase. In you and in your work, O Lord, do I fear. I've heard the report of you and of your work, he says. You've, told, you've let me in on what it is you're going to do. I'm reminded of the many things you've done in the past. And so, God, do what you're going to do. And then he throws in at the end, and in wrath, Lord, please remember your mercy. Habakkuk was just a young man when the nation experienced that revival. And his desire is that God would bring another revival, that God would change the people. And God can certainly do that with the preaching of the word. As the word goes forth, hearts are cut, people repent, and they begin to walk a new path. But sometimes the way that God does that is he allows people to experience the consequences of their sin. And like the prodigal, they realize, this stinks. What am I doing? Back in my father's house, the servants are rejoicing and celebrating and having better food than I am. And through the difficulties, coming to their senses and repenting. In both cases, people have repented and returned to the Lord. And God says he was going to use the latter in this circumstance here to bring about repentance. And in that sense, to bring about a second revival in Habakkuk's day. And surely the nation needed it because it had drifted back into its sin. And so Habakkuk says, Lord, do what you need to do. Revive the people again, however. His initial thought is that God was crazy. But here, after prayerful reflection, he remembers that this is the God from all eternity. This is the God that's holy. This is the God that's good. This is the God who has repeatedly proven himself to be faithful. And having all of that information, all of that knowledge kind of brought back up within him, he says, God, I will trust you. Now, he has not, however, given up petitioning God for his mercy. He's not given up crying out to God for bringing about a revival in this day, even as he brought about in, in his earlier day. You know, I, I think about, uh, you know, as we look at our world around us, many of us have probably said, and will agree to this phrase, man, the days are short, right? The days are short. Judgment is coming. Now, the fact that the days are short as a believer, praise the Lord. I can't wait for him to come and take me home. And I'm sure many of you think that way as well. And so, in a sense, as a part of me that is longing for his return. And the darker the days get, man, the brighter his coming is going to be. And so, in some regard, you might say, bring on the dark days. But there's another aspect of us that is saying, that knows there will be people that will be judged. And so, Lord, please, bring about an awakening in our day. Lord, please revive the hearts of your church. Go forth and do that work. And so our friend Habakkuk here, he says, in wrath, remember your mercy. God, I trust you in what you're going to do, but in your wrath, remember your, your mercy. Lord, I know that we deserve your wrath, but in the midst of it, send revival. Send revival to us. God sends revival. Verse 3 goes on, and Habakkuk now will do a very important, I think this is a great model for us, a pattern for us. What he will do is he'll go on to recount some of the many ways in the nation's history 
that the power of God was demonstrated on behalf of his people. And he could do this by going back through the word of God in his mind, or if he had a copy of it, or even in his own life, he could go back through his journals or just through his recollection and remember all of the ways that God had shown himself strong on behalf of his people. He starts that in verse 3. He says, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and he measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. He goes on in verse 7. He said, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. So he lists a number of different places there. He, he's listed Temin, Mount Paran in verse 3, Cushion and Midian in verse 7. These are just some of the many enemies that had in the past come against Israel and were defeated. Not because of Israel's great power, not because of their superior military or anything like that. Many times they were um, significantly inferior militarily, but because it was the power of the Lord that was with them. Habakkuk recalls that. He says in verse 9, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and they writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It's lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood, stood still in their place at the light of, the, of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the wicked, the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh unto neck. He says again, Selah. Now the word Selah, you've seen it there in three verses, verse 3, verse 9, verse 13, uh, that's found in this song. It's a word which appears 71 different times in the Psalms. Most of the times it appears there. It appears elsewhere uh, as well. Here we have it appearing three times. It's a word which means stop and consider. Or take a moment, pause, and think about that statement that was just made. And it appears again and again in the Psalms. And I hope you are doing that with regularity. I hope you are stopping and you are considering in your walk with Christ uh, with consistency. Stopping and considering what the Lord has done in your life. Habakkuk's doing that here in this passage. Stopping and considering what the Lord is presently doing in your life and what the implications are of his doings. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for your walk with him? Sometimes we just get so busy and we kind of run through life and we're not even stopping and considering who God is, what God is doing. Even sometimes I find, you know, I've developed enough of a pattern in my life where, you know, you kind of get up, you do your quiet time, but you don't even stop and consider the reading of the word. You just read it, check it off. You come to church, you come, you listen to a sermon or a message, you go to a small group Bible study, and you kind of done the thing, and then you go. And you don't really even just take time to stop and consider 
What does this mean? What is God doing? What are the implications for my walk with him? It's so very important for us to consistently have those Selah moments in our lives. It's crucial, I would say to you, to take time to stop and consider the things you're reading, the things you're digging into, the things that God is saying to your heart. Think back on all that God has done in your own life and in the scriptures. In the book of Romans, we read this. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written, our scriptures that we have, it was for our instruction. God gave it to us for us to instruct us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to remind us so that we might have hope. And we need that, don't we, in our walks with him? Do you ever find yourself in a situation where maybe the folks are driving you nuts and you begin to think to yourself, these people don't know I'm a Christian. I could give it to them and no one would know. I don't think that way, but I've heard stories of people. I need to go back to the word I need to be reminded and encouraged and have the hope that the Lord will strengthen me. He'll be with me. I can continue to walk with him. I can continue to respond to these circumstances as he would have me to respond to these circumstances. You face a situation that I don't know what to do. I just got this news from the doctor. Come in tomorrow morning. What's the doctor going to say to me tomorrow morning? Oh, my gosh, this is it. And you find yourself in this place of worry. You go back to the scriptures You remind yourself of what the word of God, you allow the word of God to speak into that circumstance that even in the midst of this, he can give me a peace that's uh, beyond understanding. Lord, you take a moment to stop and consider, Lord, I'm going to look for that peace that passes understanding in this circumstance. The word of God speaking into your life circumstance. So very important. But if we're so busy that we don't take time to stop and consider, then we miss those opportunities. If we don't take time to meditate on the word of God, to think about, chew on the word of God, and what are its implications for me. Habakkuk does that. He's wrestling. That's what his name means. And we've seen it in the first two chapters. And he goes back to the word of God, and he begins to recall some of the many different ways that God has worked on behalf of his people. And in doing that, he encouraged himself in the present. He goes back and thinks about the past, and he encourages himself in the present. Such a good example to us. Now, verse 13, notice he says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh unto neck. Think about that, Habakkuk. He says, Selah. He remembers how God has saved in the past, and it made him full of faith of what God was going to do in the present. God said he was going to save them, ultimately, from the hand of the Babylonians. They would not totally destroy. Babylon was coming, but the, joys, the Jews would not be completely destroyed. Verse 14, he goes on, You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses and the surging of the mighty waters. Event after event after event. Habakkuk gives God praise. And he gives him praise for his power. He gives him praise for his might. He gives him praise for his faithfulness to the nation of Israel. So this song of Habakkuk, it's a little bit different from our songs of praise. Ours rhyme a little bit, you know, and they flow a little bit and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how this one 
the tune of it. But this is a little bit different. But nonetheless, it's a song of praise. And it's a song of praise that comes forth from Habakkuk. It is good to praise God. It's good for you for a number of different reasons. But it is good to praise God. It's good for us to praise God because it gives him the glory and the honor that he is due. And that is why we were created. I described it one time. It's sort of that sweet spot in our lives where, you know, everything sort of just comes together perfectly and they all converge in that spot. When you are giving God honor and praise, you are doing exactly what you were created to do in this world. Give him honor and praise. And so it's good for us to be doing that. It's good to praise God because it teaches us and it reminds us of who God is and what he has done. We can forget that. And the circumstances we face can sort of blind us to who he is because we're so fixated on what's in front of us. It's good to praise God because it builds our confidence in him and his word. And it's good to praise him because it puts life's events into their proper perspective. Habakkuk here praises the Lord. It's good for us to do so as well. In his wrestling, he's come to the place of clinging to the idea that God, who had previously and repeatedly cared for his people, would once more do so again. I really appreciate this, this journey that Habakkuk is on. Uh, to use a phrase that I used in one of our other studies, what Habakkuk has done is he has directed his thinking away from what he was feeling to what he knew to be true. And again, I think it's a tremendous pattern and example for us of this man of faith that we've been given the opportunity to look into. Now, all of this is not to say that all is rainbows and butterflies. Everything's not going to magically work himself out because he believes or something like that. We all know people preach that, but we all know the reality of life here on this earth. That's not how things work out. Habakkuk knows that very difficult days are ahead for the nation and possibly for himself. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, I hear what God is doing or going to do, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bone and my legs they tremble beneath me the thought of a coming judgment at the hands of the babylonians as we would expect that greatly troubled habakkuk but notice again so very important that we take notice of it notice what he says next in verse 16 it continues he says yet i will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us he says yet i will quietly wait He's naturally troubled by what awaits the nation, but he determines that he will continue to trust in the Lord and that he will quietly await for his purposes to be accomplished. That's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? And yet it's what we need to be doing. He says in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the oil fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk here, he has completely resolved himself to the will of God in the life of the nation. Oftentimes, in times like what Habakkuk is about to face, we begin to hear things like this. 
well, if God is so great and powerful, how come I'm going through this thing? Habakkuk does the exact opposite. He's unequivocal. He says, times and circumstances, they may change, but God remains the same. Time and circumstances may stink, but God is still good. God is still holy. God is still faithful. God is still true. And he is still faithful and true and holy and good. I'll put it in our terms, whether our bank account is full and we're thriving in the workplace or our bank account is empty and we're not sure if we're going to have a job much longer. God is still good. He's still holy. He's still faithful. He's still true. He's good and faithful and holy and true, whether all is well and rosy at home and our kids are doing great and they love us or act like they love us. I imagine they do but they at least show it or we find ourselves facing some of the most difficult times and we wonder if we're even going to be able to get through it. We remind ourselves that God is still holy. He's still faithful. He's merciful. He's kind. He's just. We remind ourselves of what we do know. Habakkuk says, though the fig trees should not blossom and there be no fruit, on the vines. He says, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet, he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Somewhere in the process of this book, Habakkuk either came to realize or he reminded himself, probably the latter, that his joy was not tied to the fig tree. My joy has never been tied to a fig tree, I'll tell you that. But his apparently was at one point. His joy is not tied to the fig tree. It's not tied to the vines of the field. It's not tied to the flocks that are in the stable or anything like that. All of those things can and all of those things will vary, dependent upon a whole multitude of other factors. But what will never change is his God, and so it's in him that he will rejoice. Because it is as he, as he says in verse 19, it is he that will strengthen him. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes the deer's feet. He makes me tread on my high places. Whatever he has to face, he knows that the Lord will strengthen him for those purposes. All of those things are, are changing. The Lord will never change. Notice he says there, he's, he makes my feet like the deer's feet. And then he references there the high places. What he's doing here, he's thinking of the deer that runs about on the high hills in Jerusalem, or in um, Israel, particularly uh, in southern Israel where you have uh, a lot of the deserty area and the rocks and the crags or whatever. He's thinking of the deer that are up there. And, you know, if it was a human, we would all be down on the ground, be careful, you're going to fall, you're crazy. And the deer are trotting around, having a good old time, and they're figuring it out. And their feet are firm, and they're not going to slip. He says, he makes my feet like the deer's feet. And so I've lost my fields, or olive trees or whatever have been destroyed. All of our animals have been killed. The Babylonians are coming in. They're burning our homes. These things are going to shake me. I'm going to fall. I'm going to crash. Habakkuk says, no, because I won't look to them. I'll look to him. And he will make my feet so that they do not fall. 
He will strengthen me so that my knees don't buckle and give out. I will make it through this, is what Habakkuk shares. The deer never lose a step and neither will I. What, a, what an amazing difference from where this book began to where we are now. Where the book began, God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand. What's wrong? God, are you there? Are you listening? God, I'm screaming and you're not hearing me. To this part at the end where he says, I will trust the Lord. He will strengthen me. This will not shake me and it will not cause me to fall. He begins as a man that is bewildered, confused, and filled with questions. He closes as one who has found that the answer to all of his questions is God himself. And that's why this is a lesson to you and I. And it's a book that you and I really need to take to heart and ask that the Lord would teach us how to apply these things to our lives as well. Habakkuk was a man of faith, but men and brothers and sisters, men and women here in the faith, He's not a man that needs to be any different from you and I. We can be men and women of faith as well. And so my prayer is that this, our study of the book of Habakkuk, oh, I forgot, we have to clap, that our study of the book of Habakkuk would be an incredible encouragement to each, of, each one of us. And maybe right now, today is great. A week from now, a month from now, a year from now, maybe you'll be going through something. Remember the testimony of Habakkuk, amen? Let's pray together. We're going to celebrate communion, so don't go anywhere. Father, we appreciate. I've read the book before, but I've forgotten a lot of what we've read until our study again, Lord, this, this last couple of weeks. And, Lord, I'm, I'm so glad that we took the time to go through this minor prophet. But I'm so glad for his example and his pattern. Lord, he feels to me like an older brother in the faith that I'm just observing from afar and learning lessons without a word even being spoken to me. And Lord, I want to apply those lessons to whatever life hands us, me, and I imagine many people in here the same prayer. And so Lord, teach us how to fix our eyes on you. Lord, teach us to stop and to consider how good you are, how holy you are, how powerful you are, how mighty you are, how you have shown yourself self strong repeatedly on behalf of your people. Remind us, Lord, even in our own lives. Again, I keep thinking of that footprint uh, poem and how you're with us and you're always with us and you're walking with us even when we look back and it appears that you weren't. You are, you're carrying us. Lord, we love you. Lord, you've been faithful through the teaching of your word, through the study of your word, to minister to us, to encourage us, as Paul said, to build within us again our hope. Use your word. May the seed of it go down deep, take up root, and bear much fruit going forward, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.